Today's episode is brought to you by The Star Draft. Do you feel like you always know the Oscar nominees before they're announced, or wish that you could share just a bit of Meryl Streep's Oscar glory? Well, now you can. Experience awards season like never before. Sign up today to create or join a league at www.thestardraft.com. We share the, the same love, the, the love of film. And now what I'm about to say probably will stir up a lot of conversation around over the country. You commie, homo-loving sons of guns. It's not about you. It's about these characters. They are two of the finest gay Americans, two wonderful men. And I am greatly honored and tremendously moved. Don't let anybody tell you this isn't a terrific thrill. It would be a lie if I told you I didn't know what to say because I've been working on this speech for about 25 years. Well, it's my privilege. Thank you. And welcome back to this week's episode of Academy Queens. Look, you had a beautiful friendship, maybe more than a friendship, and I envy you. I'm Joey Gentile. And I don't want to hear it because it hurts my ears. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And this is Academy Queens, your LGBT guide through the Academy Awards per decade per category. And this is the men of 2017. Brandon, how we doing? What's new? Anything fun and exciting? Um, not too much. Uh, nice day off today. I got to watch a couple of movies that have nothing to do with this episode. So that was a nice little refresher. Just got to hang out and uh, nap with the dog a little bit in between movies. Nice, nice. Still recording, or still recording, still recovering from last night. Last night, oh yes. So uh, as of this recording, uh, last night was the first presidential debate, which was not so much a debate as a debacle. The first presidential debacle, that's great. Uh, Yeah, you're right, you're right. Um, As much fun or horrific as that could be to talk about, that's not why we're here today, though. But I am interested to hear our guest's opinion on that really quick with a quick soundbite. Um, we actually have a returning guest who is a lot of fun, is huge on film Twitter, who we've had on before. Um, do you want to take it away and introduce her? Uh, sure. So uh, back by popular demand, uh, you last heard this guest discussing the actresses of 1992. Uh, you're probably a fan of her YouTube channel. And um, without further ado, that is Be Kind Rewind, a.k.a. Izzy. Hello, Izzy. Welcome back. Hey, thank you for having me. Hello, hello. And your quick thoughts on the debacle did you watch last night? I caught the second half of it, and I deeply regret that I caught the second half of it. Um, Truly an embarrassing moment for this country. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. But maybe, I mean, because this will be out a couple of months after that, so hopefully the sting or maybe, you know, isn't too hard or maybe we're in a better scenario than we are right now. Who knows? Um, But let's get to actually why you're here today. We welcomed you back and sent the invite out, and one of the first things we ask our guests are, why did you choose this year? Now, before you answer that question, I want to share with everyone probably my most favorite response ever from asking someone to come back or someone to come on we sent you the invite we're like hey do you want to come back sure who are we talking about the men we're switching over to the men of oscar your response i died from it was men never heard of them (laughs) 
Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> True. <laughs> so unfamiliar. Who, who are they? I, right, right. I had to Google. <laughs> because we know for your show that on YouTube, you've been very adamant that that will never happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm no, I'm intrigued with the way that you're that you've done your show. That essentially this is the first time we're ever going to hear you speak, possibly ever, on this. <laughs> so with that said, why did you choose the class of 2017? Um, there's one uh, performance in particular in this year that I'm absolutely obsessed with. So, or just one film, I should say. So, um that really drew me to this year in particular, mostly because I just want to rave about it, but I think we'll get to it. So I'll save my compliments for later. Okay. All right. Brandon, anything you'd like to add? Um, no, I think that about covers it. All right. Well, we know the drill by now we've had Izzy on before, no need to uh, dwaddle anymore, but let's start off with who we think we're going to choose this year. Brandon, do you want to start us off? Um, sure. So, um, for Joey, um, I'm going to say Christopher Plummer in supporting and, um, Timothy Chalamet, uh, in lead. And for Izzy, hmm, I'll say Willem Dafoe in supporting and Daniel Day-Lewis in lead. And Izzy? Um, hmm, let's see, for... Brandon, I'm going to say, oh, this is so hard. I'm going to say Timothy Chalamet in lead and uh, Christopher Plummer. And then for Joey, I'm going to say, oh, my gosh, this is difficult. I'm going to say Daniel Day-Lewis and Christopher Plummer. Well, I see a trend going on with people so <laughs> Um, so let me actually see if I can break this up a little bit. Um, Izzy, I have a feeling for supporting, you know what? I'm going to be bold here. I'm going to say Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. And for lead, I'm going to go Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. Brandon, I'm going to say Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out. And I could really just see you going for Willem Dafoe, Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project. Okay. So there we go. There we go. Am I allowed to say that one of you totally just dragged me? <laughs> dragged you? Really, you? Well, like you really rat, read me so well. <laughs> oh, now I'm intrigued. I have a feeling I know. <laughs> I have a feeling I know for sure. And your nominees for Best Supporting Actor were... Willem Dafoe, The Florida Project. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Richard Jenkins, The Shape of Water. Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World. Sam Rockwell, Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. All right, let's let us start off this year with Woody Harrelson as Willoughby in Three Billboards Outside of Ebbing, Missouri. This is his third of three nominations. Going into Oscar night, he was kind of a wild card if he was even going to get here because he gets a nomination from BAFTA 
And then he wins SAG for the cast, but nominated for supporting. Again, Woody plays uh, Willoughby in Three Billboards. And in that film, he is the chief of police who kind of takes the brunt force at first from um, Francis McDormand's character of Mildred in the case of her murdered daughter. Um, Turns out, though, he is harboring his own little secret that in a way kind of is his demise uh, halfway through the film. Um, Izzy, since you're a returning guest, and because I just have to now hear you speak first about a man, um, <laughs> what do you think about Woody Harrelson in Three Billboards? Um, Woody Harrelson in this movie to me was very similar to Woody Harrelson in a lot of movies. Um, I think he just sort of has this like tough guy persona that I actually enjoy in a lot of ways. Like I think about him in even one of the Planet of the Apes movies um, where he's very villainous, but still very intriguing in that way. Um, and I really appreciate that toughness that he has. I just think it makes him such a compelling actor. I thought this role was like good for him. Fine. I wasn't too drawn to it, especially you know, in the context of some of these other uh, actors in this category. But, um, yeah, pretty good. Um, I think Woody Harrelson's a pretty reliable um, guy in Hollywood. Um, he very seldom, I think, gives us a bad performance. But kind of like what Izzy was saying, they tend to be pretty similar um, with just some subtle differences here. Um, this character in Threeville Words... Um, has a little bit of heaviness that he carries around, considering, um, you know, this secret that he doesn't really want out uh, in the public because uh, of how people would view him. And it eventually, you know, leads to him uh, taking his own life. I think we can spoil it because it's been out. This movie's been out for a few years now, and I'm sure our listeners have seen it. Uh, so there is a bit of a gravity to this character, um, a little uh, melancholy in a way that's sort of deeper down that we don't always get with a lot of Harrelson performances. But um, throughout the movie, he's just kind of sturdy uh, as a performance, as a presence in this movie. Um, it doesn't exactly blow me away. Um, I don't think it's, you know, the most earth shattering thing Woody Harrelson will ever give us. Uh, but I think he's perfectly okay. Yeah, I have to echo kind of the same sentiments as from you both. Um, I mean, for me, Woody Harrelson isn't exactly what I'm leaving the theater thinking of when it comes to Three Billboards. Um, I enjoy this movie quite a bit. I made that clear when we talked about Francis McDormand. Um, I remember, and I'll bring it up again here shortly when we get to Sam Rockwell, I, and I brought it up when we talked about Francis. I think it's kind of funny that when I saw this movie, like how wrong I was on my predictions, because I was like, oh, yeah, you know, I think Sam Rockwell, Sam Rockwell is good, but I, I just don't see this being a winning performance. Like, I think he'll get nominated everywhere and then not win anything. And of course, I was wrong there. Um, and then, you know, loved Francis. And when I would talk about Woody, I'm like, yeah, you know, it's, it's Woody Harrelson. Um, I never really saw this as like Oscar material. Um, especially because he's in this movie just as fast as he's out of this movie. Um, this is kind of what I would call a glorified cameo almost. Um, and I th just think it's interesting that he got in here when which we'll have a question about in a, about it later when like the supporting actor lineup throughout the season was pretty strong on these 
four, and then there was Army Hammer or Woody Harrelson. So it, it's it's kind of interesting that Woody got in here, but at the same time, thinking about how three billboards did across the board, I'm like, maybe it's not so shocking. Um, but I think it's fine. But, you know, Woody Harrelson's been nominated twice before, once for um, The Messenger and the other one for The People vs. Larry Flint. And both of those are great nominations, while this one is just a good nomination. Yeah, I kind of have to agree with a lot of what you're saying. Like, I, I don't think Woody Harrelson's bad, necessarily. Um, I just don't see how it's any more praiseworthy than anything else that anyone is doing. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. All right. Well, I will move on then to Sam Rockwell, the other half of the three billboards gentleman here. He plays Dixon in this film, and this is his first of two nominations, and he wins this year. Um, he isn't so much a critic's darling as he is the big awards darling. So he wins Golden Globe, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, Spirit, and SAG. And he wins two at SAG. Again, one for supporting, one for cast. Um, the LA Film Critics and the National Society Film Critics nominate him here. Um, in three billboards, again, Sam plays Dixon, who is... I don't want to say like a junior police officer because I feel like that makes him sound like doofy from Scary Movie, but he's definitely lower on the rankings compared to Harrelson's character, um, who is a really, really grotesque character, but somehow has a change of heart and a heart of gold near the end, becomes super um, important in Mildred's storyline. Um, but he's definitely a pawn character for everyone else around him to just beat up on and yeah, just not a really good guy. So, Brandon, let's start with you. So, um, as our listeners heard already when we discussed his nomination for Vice, I'm a pretty big fan of Sam Rockwell just as an actor. Um, I've been a fan of him since I was a kid. I think Galaxy Quest was, like, the movie that I saw really early, and I thought he was just so funny and silly in that movie. And he's, you know, had his character actor parts basically since the 80s. He's been working, like, small parts uh, leading up to bigger parts, and now he's getting these juicy supporting parts. Uh, basically for a few decades now, and um, he definitely has more to do in this movie than Woody Harrelson. Uh, he has more moments, and, you know, he gets a little bit more of uh, the fun dialogue and all that. Um, I think he's uh, he's doing pretty well with what the movie has to offer him. Um, also, as our listeners heard when we discussed Francis McDormand, I'm not the biggest fan of this movie. I think it's kind of flawed um, in a lot of ways, but looking at at uh, what Sam Rockwell was given and how this movie is directed. I think he is doing the best that he can uh, with this material. He uh, he makes the character, uh, it's kind of tricky to talk about this character without being, you know, insensitive or offensive, but uh, the character is one you kind of laugh at at times and other times you criticize and you judge. It's, uh, it's sort of a comp character in a way, at least in the way that you're supposed to feel about him. Uh, so I guess I commend Sam Rockwell a little bit there, uh, being able to create this guy who is not exactly a cookie-cutter racist or a cookie-cutter abusive cop. There's um, he, he plays with some things and makes it more interesting than some other actors might. So uh, Izzy, how do you feel about him? Um, I actually pretty much agree with everything you just said. I've always liked him as an actor. I think he's really fun to watch. But uh, that being said, he also, like you were saying, uh, sort of takes these roles that are difficult to talk about um, because he does not play likable characters all the time. Um, 
and it's kind of fun to watch him play in that realm while obviously like not agreeing with him and anything that his characters stand for um just because you can sort of see all the machinations that he's working with um just like from a technique perspective but uh yeah I, I do think he had a lot to chew on in this role um I wasn't a huge fan of the film either just in general uh, but I can understand why voters would think that he really was putting on a show here. Yeah, um, I it, it's funny because, you know, with as people listening to this by now know we're with the women, we went from 1970 up to 2019 and with the men we're working our way down. So we've already talked about Sam Rockwell um, with Vice. And I mentioned with Vice, as bad as that movie is, I can appreciate what Rockall was doing. I mean, he ended up being my runner-up that year after all in that category. Here, like I said, I like the movie, and I can understand why people don't, just like like I mentioned that with Vice just now. But I don't think that this is so much a parody performance like he was with George W. Bush. So I understand why people get upset with him because he almost plays it too well. And I don't know if that's like a fair criticism, um, these types of roles, but there definitely is a trend happening with him. Um, am I making sense or am I just babbling with this? Because what I'm trying to say is like he like he does this too well, but it's like a niche for him almost. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of criticisms like that on Twitter, and I do think it's valid because... I mean, I think it's very weird if it, a, an actor kind of gets shoehorned into playing rare racist all the time and, like, isn't sort of actively trying to, <laughs> right? Um, not, like, work against that. Um, it just seems, like, almost complicit or something. Yeah, and that's what I mean. Like, I don't want to sound like I'm judging him for, his, for the roles, I guess, as a whole, but, some like, I don't know how to put this one. Like, this is, like, he's good here, but I don't. I don't know. This I think this is the first time I might actually be stumped on how to put my feelings of the a performance into words. Because it's not bad at all. And it's really good, but I feel almost guilty for liking it. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense too. I don't know. Somebody jump in. Help me. <laughs> well, I think that has a lot to do with um this is a character who's hard to root for by the end. Right. Um there's like a built-in sort of redemption arc to this character, which is a whole conversation in and of itself. So I think a lot of the um, criticisms um, that Sam Rockwell has received actually have a lot more to do with Martin McDonough than they Mm -hmm. do with Rockwell as a performer. Um, I mean, like I said here and in the Francis McDormand episode, uh, this movie is pretty wonky and, um, I think Rockwell has received a lot of that criticism somewhat unjustly because I think he is doing pretty well with crafting this character and establishing that arc and ultimately sticking the landing in the end. It's just really more so a question of should that have been the story at all, you know? It's really interesting that you say that because certain directors do get that criticism and others don't. Like, I think it's very fair to have that question about like Quentin Tarantino and people do talk about that, but not Martin McDonough, you know? Yeah. And I have to also think too about like what, 
was this specifically? Was it was it his performance? Was it the campaign behind Three Billboards? Because it's not like Sam Rockwell hasn't given us Oscar-worthy material before. I mean, a decade earlier, you know, with Moon, a lot of people agree he should have been a lead actor in, I think that came out in 09 for that. Like, so we, we know that he can do these performances, but it's just odd that the ones he gets nominated for are performances like these specifically. Or even Green Mile. Oh, I forgot. That's another he was one. In. I forgot he was in that. You're right on that. That's a good he's, one too. He's been around for a while. He has. He has. Um, does anyone have anything else to stumble on like I did with uh, Sam Rockwell before we move on? Now I'm just kind of like listing through all the performances in my head. like, And then he played a Nazi. And we're all just, right. yeah, it's getting a little too much. Yeah. I mean, good for him for with the Fosse Verdon. He was great in that. I'm glad he switched it up there. That was fantastic. But, you know, let's not kid ourselves. That was all Michelle Williams' show. So, <laughs> you know. <laughs> Uh, right. <laughs> right. Um, moving on, we have Christopher Plummer as J. Paul Getty in All the Money in the World. This is his third of three nominations. And going into Oscar night, he was also kind of a, a wild card. But he is a nominated at Golden Globes and BAFTA for supporting. In All the Money in the World, again, Christopher plays J. Paul Getty, who was a real evil man, who was at one time known as the richest man in the world due to oil. And um, when his own family is kidnapped and put for ransom, guess who doesn't want to pay for the money or pay for the freedom? So let's talk Christopher Plummer, and then we're going to talk the scandal because we have questions going into that. So Izzy, let's start with you. Yeah, so obviously I think the thing, the initial thought, I guess, for this nomination would be, oh, you know, he got nominated as a, like a compensation for stepping in at the last minute. Like, good for him. This is a good narrative, a good story, whatever. But I actually think that his performance absolutely justifies the nomination. Um, it's so fun to watch him be villainous because I'm pretty basic. And um, I immediately always think of The Sound of Music when I think of Christopher Palmer. Um, so to see, like, that man and then also this, like, villainous, like, Scrooge character um, it's just such a fun dichotomy to think about, like coming from this one person. Uh, and so, yeah, I really enjoyed this performance. Yeah, me too. Um, I kind of have similar feelings. I know it's hard to watch this movie detached from the backstory, from the controversy, but Christopher Flemmer is giving a hell of a performance in this movie. Um, I also tend to agree that he received the nomination not just because of, you know, the narrative of replacing he who shall be named later, but um, he does it so well that it makes me wonder why he wasn't the one cast in the role to begin with, because he commands every scene that he's in. And uh, this character is so the definition of unlikable and yet so believable too, that this guy who is, um, you know, it's determined that he is the richest person in the world, and yet he won't be happy until he has even more. And he will only issue the ransom money if he can write it off on his taxes. And he finds a way to transfer the money to someone else as a middleman to claim interest and somehow evade taxes and get more money back. It's really fucked up. And he does it so believably, especially considering the news that's happening right now, considering uh, rich people in taxes. 
I was going to bring that up. <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of disturbing in a way, watching this movie today, considering, you know, the New York Times uh, stories concerning, you know, Trump's taxes and how he basically doesn't pay them and hasn't for like 15 years because he and his people have the resources to uh, claim all these weird little loopholes and whatever. Uh, so it's... um. This movie has somehow become more timely today than it was when it came out. And uh, Christopher Plummer um, creates quite a villain in this movie. And um, he's repugnant in the best of ways. So I like him. Also, Trump would not save Tiffany. Oh, no. <laughs> does Trump even know that he has a daughter named Tiffany? <laughs> That's what he I'm probably thinking. does now because she was at the convention. Oh, let me tell you, being in Cleveland last night, that, oh, God. Um... Yeah, I would like to start off with this comment. I think this is who, because we were just talking about him, this is who Trump thinks he actually is, I feel, <laughs> um, which is hilarity in itself. With that out of the way now, um, I love this movie. I think this movie is great. I saw this movie, I saw four movies in one day getting ready for this Oscar season, and this was one of, I, this was the last one. I saved this one for last, and I'm glad that I did. Um, because it was glorious to watch in theaters. And speaking of Michelle Williams, justice for Michelle Williams, because she is brilliant here, and this should have been another nomination for her. Um, that was a shame. But regarding Christopher Plummer, I anyone who knows me knows that I am a pure chaotic evil person, and <laughs> this is pure chaotic evil, and it is my cup of tea as a motherfucker. And I love it, and I want to see a whole spinoff film with this character as like a prequel. So please someone make that happen because J. Paul Getty is terrible and it is not someone I ever would invite over for like dinner, let alone a conversation. And yet I'm so attracted to this that it is kind of worrying me why I am so much. Um, and I think honestly, that's just the brilliance of Christopher Plummer. I mean, the dude is an icon. He's a legend. He is the moment. Um, <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm into it. I think this is a really, really fun nomination. And I think it's super unfair that people were like, well, this is just a because you did such and such and such and such. OK, cool. Shut up. I will say, though, I love the fact that anytime there's a replacement now, like the most recent thing with West Side Story and Ansel, Al what is the name? Ansel Elgort. People are like, can't wait for the Christopher Plummer West Side Story. Like it's become <laughs> an internet meme and I'm here for it. So I think it's great. I love that Christopher Plummer is so relevant today. That's right. just delightful. Like, are I, they going to actually Christopher Plummer him? That's what people are thinking. Wow. Oh, my God. Put Isaac Cole Powell in it. Hey, there we go. One of my favorite ones about this was when Roseanne Barr spotted her racist bullshit and, and uh, they had uh, canceled Roseanne. People were making Roseanne posters, but with Christopher Plummer on them. And I was, <laughs> That's amazing. And please... <laughs> No one will ever notice. Um, we have a couple of questions regarding this, so let's get to that. Um, starting with Ronnie Kessel, without the scandal of Chris, of Plummer and Kevin Spacey, would you think that Spacey would not have been nominated and therefore giving room for Patrick Stewart and Logan taking his place? Because remember, he was nominated at Critics' Choice. I'm not, sure if, uh, I'm not sure if Spacey would have been nominated for this. I mean, it's hard to tell, obviously, having not 
seen what he did, but I know he had a lot of uh, prosthetic stuff going on. Um, I'm not sure how it would have been received by people if it would have just, you know, been mocked or if he actually would have you know, made it work and turned out um, something. Uh, it seems like odd casting now in hindsight, uh, considering what Christopher Plummer did. It seems kind of weird to have Kevin Spacey and basically old makeup drag doing this performance. Um, I'm not sure about the Patrick Stewart thing either, uh, considering that's a, you know, a superhero genre film. And most of the time, you know, of course, there's a couple exceptions. Most of the time, the Academy doesn't tend to go for that. So I have a hard time believing Patrick Stewart would have gotten in. But um, I'm not so sure about Kevin Spacey either, honestly. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it's, uh, I can't envision Kevin Spacey in this role. Having seen, I feel like it would have just been sort of like a diet retreading of what he was trying to do in um, House of Cards. Mm. Uh, so I am glad that he was replaced for multiple reasons. I'm glad he was replaced. But, um, and I did not see Logan, so I don't really have any thoughts on that, but. So I just, I just want to add in, um, Kristoff had also asked, would Kevin Spacey have had a chance to get Christopher Plummer's um, nomination if it, you know, if he had uh, played this part? And I forgot to tie that in here. So that's Ronnie and Kristoff. Um, I, I, I also don't think that Spacey would have gotten in just because, I mean, if you remember, his trailer for this is still available to see on the Internet for all the money in the world. And his prosthetics just look silly. To be honest, he reminds me of what end up what ends up happening to um, Tony Shalhoub's character in the first Spy Kids with like that those clay hands and stuff. That's kind of what it reminded me of. So it was kind of really embarrassing to be honest. Um, regarding Logan, I just didn't think that that movie was Oscar worthy in general. I know it got a surprise screenplay nom, but I never understood why Patrick Stewart really had a narrative going into this. Maybe it was just sentimental value. So I'm just gonna say no to it all. Mm-hmm. So, um, okay, moving on then. We have the critics' darling Willem Dafoe as Bobby in the Florida Project. This is his third of four nominations. Again, critics' darling. So he wins at LA Film Critics. He wins National Board of Review. He wins National Society of Film Critics and the New York Film Critics Association. He's nominated at SAG, the Critics' Choice, BAFTA, and Golden Globes. Again, Willem plays Bobby in the Florida Project, who is the manager of a hotel that is lived in by numerous people and he has to wrangle everybody and keep order and Brandon, I want to hear your thoughts here. So I quite like Willem Dafoe in this movie. Uh, The Florida Project is a movie that I had to watch a second time for it to really hit me. The first time I watched it, I don't know if I just wasn't in the right uh, mindset or what, but it just didn't really do it for me the first time. Uh, The second time, I kind of became enamored with it and all the little moving pieces um, within, uh, Willem Dafoe being a big part of it. I think he's fantastic in this. Uh, I love his relationship uh, with the children in this movie, um, the way he he cares so much about them. You can tell he really has their best interest at heart, and yet he's also so annoyed by them at the same time. He, he balances that really well, and um, it ma- he makes it believable. I also do not envy his job. I could not do this job. Um, not just the, the kids running around causing mayhem and cutting the power and setting 
a literal condo on fire. But like having to, you know, be on call and deal with all kinds of crazies all the time is just not for me. So kudos to Defoe for that. Um, he's also quite funny in this. I, I love his little random scene with, I don't, I don't know, animals. I'm not sure if they were flamingos or pelicans or whatever they were. The ones yeah. that are like, well, what are they? No, I'm laughing. I don't know animals. <laughs> I, I don't know. Animals. They're, they're tall birds. The tall birds that are walking on the parking lot. And he has like a moment with them where he's telling them to go away. And he, he makes his little pun and then makes himself laugh. It's a cute little moment. Um, but then he has his more serious moments. Like when the, the pervert is, you know, moving in on the kids and he very sneakily gets the guy to, you know, go away and beats him up a little bit. So he uh, he's given a lot of opportunities uh, to really shine, and he makes this character believable, um, which I think is super important in this movie, considering the majority of the cast are non-actors who are not really putting on an acting performance. So Willem Dafoe is sort of challenged to blend in with them. And, you know, it's, it's hard to separate who we know Willem Dafoe is from this character because you know Willem Dafoe is so unique but um I think he's able to you know deliver a pretty naturalistic performance and blend in uh with the non-actors in his film so yeah I think it's a pretty solid performance uh through and through Izzy how about you um yeah I love this performance so much um sort of like you were saying I think he is the anchor of this film I mean I know that you know, we're following around Mooney and everything that's happening to her. But the I feel like there's just this identification that the audience has with him where we're just sort of wanting the best for everyone who's in the, the film and trying to, you know, just think about them like maturely, but also indulging in all the fun that they're having when they're having it and, you know, experiencing the sadness with them. And he's sort of in that bystander position with them as well. Um, I really liked this because I feel like we're so used to seeing Willem Dafoe do a lot of different things. Like, uh, the lighthouse is nothing like when he played Vincent van Gogh, which is nothing like when he was in Antichrist, which is nothing like, you know, X number of things that he's done. But I just feel like I've never seen him in sort of this family man persona, like this very, almost chill kind of babysitter. And um, it was so fun to see him play in that space. And so, yeah, I really love that performance. I think, Izzy, you just said it, a really amazing way to describe this performance is that he is a babysitter. And the thing for me is that he's a babysitter that's not doing anything. Um, This is beyond subtle work. It kind of just feels like... um, Who's the director of this? Sean, Sean um, Baker, Baker, right? Baker, yeah. So, you know, he Tangerine was great. I think Tangerine was one of those films that really took everyone by surprise. So this was like, I believe, his follow-up movie, and everyone was like, oh, my God, what, 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 what is he going to do? Um, I really dislike this movie a lot. Um, I really dislike that child uh, as a child in general and as an actress. I just – Brooklyn Pence, I think her name is, just shouldn't be doing this for a living. It's just terrible. Um, I really just feel like Sean called Willem up one day and was like, hey, can you come to set? I want to just follow you on with a camera. And while sometimes I feel like that that could work for like a 
documentary styled performance. I know we've talked about him before. This just kind of feels like he wasn't given any direction. It was just like, just go do something. And just for me, it doesn't work. Um, We've seen Willem Dafoe do way better things. You know, I mentioned that when we talked about at eternity's gate um, or, or uh, whatever that film that he was not before. Yeah. Um, And my biggest complaint here is we know Willem Dafoe, and I mentioned this before, like we know Helena Bottom Carter, to name someone else, and like these really out there, quirky, really larger than life performances. And I'm just kind of like tired at this point with him and not being recognized for those because th- that work is so much better. I love Willem Dafoe. This is not my cup of tea. Yeah, I think he's he's exactly my cup of tea. <laughs> I think he's doing some really fine work here. Uh, I forgot to mention, I love the scene with um, the uh, the lady who's sunbathing topless. and they, I think the kids say she has banana tits or something ridiculous. <laughs> and he's trying to convince her to cover up, and she refuses. Uh, so I think he's given quite a bit to do in this. Uh, but I think he's, he's masking his seasoned, uh, his actor-ness quite well in order to get, you know, on the same wavelength as uh, the non-actors in this movie, which I think is more challenging uh, than it might seem. Well, I have a feeling that this question is just, um, it's just kind of put towards me after this then, um, from EarCast1. Am I the only one who hates the Florida Project? Defoe is great as usual, but the film is so overrated and annoying. I kind of agree with them. Yeah, I think it, I totally understand why people think it's annoying. My parents recently um, watched it for the first time and I knew they were going to think it was annoying like immediately when they said they um, were watching it. Um, I don't know. I think it's just like a personal preference kind of thing. But uh, I definitely love that naturalistic kind of style of filmmaking that I, I think Sean Baker is doing and also like Chloe Zhao and that kind of thing. So um, it's definitely up my alley, I think. Yeah. I can see why people would say it's overrated, uh, because this movie definitely has its devout followers online. Like, this movie speaks to a very specific type of people, and those people tend to rave about the things that, I, that they love. So I can see why this movie might have the reputation for being overrated or be the type of movie that is perceived as being overrated. But um, I think it's pretty good for what it is but i mean like i said it took me two viewings to watch it i think i was just in a bad mindset or mind place whatever the word is the first time i watched it i didn't hate it it just didn't really click the second time it really clicked and i think brooklyn prince is amazing in this i'm just gonna throw that out there also her little acceptance speech when she won that award and she was crying it was so cute Mm -hmm. yeah (laughs) <laughs> my intro for this episode I ended up going with Phantom Thread because Leslie Manville but uh, my my intro was going to be um, and I know when adults are about to cry which is a line that she says when she's watching the Brazilian lady whose fiance booked the wrong hotel and she's bawling in like the lobby and the kids are like watching from the outside getting amusement out of it um, I think she's great in this I want to I see what she does in the future Hopefully an office job. Um, anything else on the photo project? 
No? Okay. Um, moving on to our final nominee this year, we have Richard Jenkins as Giles in The Shape of Water. This is the second of two nominations. Going to Oscar night, he has a Golden Globe nomination, Critics' Choice nomination, and SAG nomination for supporting. In The Shape of Water, again, Richard plays Giles, who is the neighbor and one of the two best friends to the Sally Hawkins character, who is a part of the plot to save the fish man that she harbors and um will really stick by her side no matter what um let's see who's up brandon or izzy i think it's izzy izzy go ahead to me um yeah i don't really have much to say on this to be honest i mean i found him perfectly pleasant in this role um but you know nothing nothing of his performance specifically stuck with me after I left the theater. I was very enamored with um, Sally Hawkins' performance, so maybe I was a little distracted, I guess, but um, that sounds like me. Um, so yeah, I mean, I just thought he played the supporting supportive friend role really, really well. And that's really all I have to say about it. <laughs> yeah. I. Uh... For the most part, I pretty much agree. Uh, I love Richard Jenkins. I think he's fantastic. He's one of those actors who tends to just pop up in things that I'm watching, and I'm always really happy when I notice that he's around. Uh, and here, I think he has a lovely presence to him, um, but it it's not, you know, my favorite Jenkins performance. Uh, he has his moments, like uh, with the guy in the diner, uh, who he thinks is coming on to him, and then, you know, he makes a move, and it becomes kind of awkward and almost violent um so he's given you know some very dramatic uh material like that and um you know he's also the devout friend to the sally hawkins character and they have some fun little cute moments like when they're watching their 1930s movies and all that and he's quite funny at times but um for the most part i think he's he's just playing the the best friend neighbor role and um he's doing uh, he's putting a nice little spin on it, but uh, it's not, you know, something that I'm writing home about. I gotta say, I'm I'm a little taken back by this one from you too. I, I for some reason I really thought um, there would have been a little bit more rave reviews on this one, so I'm gonna go ahead and do it. I really, really like this. Um, I think Brandon, you said it perfectly. Like he's, well, you both said it perfectly. You know, he's playing that best friend neighbor role and, you know, he's doing his job, but there's something so charming about what he's doing here because it almost feels like granted the period piece of when it takes place and what it was like to be gay at that time, you know, you had to be very, very secretive, but he's almost playing it like, um, like someone like a, like a brand new baby gay, like you're still questioning yourself a little bit, but you know, but you're going to try to, you know, lean your hand forward to see if the other person reacts. And maybe as a gay person, like I, I, I look at that and I, I remember that moment in time for myself, even though it's, you know, clearly years later that it happened for me. And I don't know, there's just something really naturalistic about what he's doing here that really, really is touching. It's sweet. Um, I think it is the primary example of that supporting character. I don't think this is something we can classify as like the Penelope Milford effect. Now, but it is supporting through and through. Um, I think it, he's really good. And I was just happy to see Richard Jenkins back. I was really hoping that he wouldn't be just soul, a sole nominee for The Visitor. Um, you know, it took a decade to get there, but he came back and 
you know, good for him. What did you guys think of uh, Michael Shannon in this movie? Fantastic. Love it. Yeah. I kind of was um, a little sad that he wasn't nominated. Did you guys see? Yeah, I was a big fan of him as well. Did you guys see the photo of Michael Shannon in a Chicago hole-in-the-wall bar watching the Oscars? Uh, Did you see that for this year? I don't remember um, seeing it, but that's very funny. Yeah, there's the, you can you can Google it. There's a photo of him watching the Oscars in a bar on TV while he's sipping a beer, just like in jeans, a jean jacket, and he kind of looks scruffy like Joaquin Phoenix. And it is the most Michael Shannon thing that you could ever think of when it comes to the Academy Awards, in my opinion. It's fantastic. But I agree that he is fantastic, and I would have loved to see him here. He's so, an actor who's always at a 100%, even when it's not called for, but it's always welcome. <laughs> yes, exactly. For sure. Um, we have uh, a question uh, from Kevin at Fillmore. What do you think happened to Army Hammer's gradual climb to the supporting nom? Why do you think he didn't end up getting it? Is he? I might be the, like, the wrong person to ask because I think that he... Uh, no offense to anyone who loves him, but I just like don't think he has any charisma um, outside of uh, the social network, which I would assume has a lot to do with David Fincher. But um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe other people were just kind of in the same boat as me and didn't really register that performance that well. But um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just find him kind of underwhelming as an actor. I find him underwhelming specifically in Call Me By Your Name. Um, I feel like every time I watch the movie, I dislike him a little bit more. He's just a little bit too stoic in this. I think what they what they were going for was creating a, a mysterious air to this character because he's supposed to be... Because Elio is supposed to be enamored with him and all that. And I think they were trying to create, you know the type of person that Elio would try to uh, pursue and uh, learn a little bit more about with every, you know, interaction. But it ends up playing as kind of wooden and lifeless. And uh, I think after a while, people just kind of were over him in this movie specifically. Yeah, I also would like to add, I think that he kind of um, trampled on his own chances with his attitude because... One of the first things he had said after his Golden Globe nominations on the press tour was, I'm overdue um, for that Oscar nomination. And I think that was probably a big turnoff for voters because, I mean, it's Army Hammer. And I don't mean that to be shady, but, you know, it's not like it would have been like if Paul Newman went through his whole career and then never got nominated. Like, hello, that's, you know, an overdue narrative. Sure. But I think that really hurt him. So there's that. Um, and then finally, from queer Nancy Pelosi, would you have nominated Michael Stuhlbarg in supporting for Call Me By Your Name? Absolutely. How about yeah. You yeah, definitely. Yeah, if there was going to be another acting nomination from this movie, it was definitely Michael Stuhlbarg. He's he's doing a lot more than Army Hammer is, and he leaves more of an impression on me as a viewer than um, Army Hammer did. I think everyone who's seen that movie was really struck by his speech at the end. I mean, I've 
almost everyone kind of mentions that at some point in a call me by your name conversation. And I think that's really special. That doesn't happen very often. Um, so it's kind of sad that he wasn't recognized for that. What's yeah. great about that monologue is um, it's it's so understood in a way. It's very personal and one-on-one. -on -one. It's like he's only speaking to Chalamet, like he's not playing to the camera. And I think that's what makes that speech so effective. Yeah, um, for me too, I think it is fantastic. There's something, again, that resonates as a gay man hearing that, because um, essentially that's kind of the parental or parental figure that in response you want and many don't have. Um, so I know for me, it, it was really touching. It was also that my opening to this episode, and it's the first time I've ever done an opening from a film that, you know, without the nominee that we're actually speaking of. So for me, it was a huge huge thing to, to remember so just a little fun fact i guess <laughs> mm -hmm. um all right that covers it for the supporting all right well your nominees for best actor in a leading role were timothy chalamet call me by your name daniel day lewis phantom thread All right, let's start with our winner for the year, Gary Oldman, winning for Darkest Hour. This is his second of two nominations and so far his only win. Going into this, he was pretty much the industry favorite as he wins the Golden Globe, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and the coveted AARP Movies for Grownups Award. In Darkest Hour, he plays Winston Churchill, who is um, leading Britain uh, during the dawn of World War II. So, Izzy, how do you feel about Gary Oldman in Darkest Hour? Um, wow. Not a film for me, I gotta say. <laughs> I fell asleep during this movie. That never happens to me. Uh, I really don't feel like I missed that much, though. I did not like the makeup that they gave him. I felt like it looked super cartoonish. Um, I did watch, I managed to wake up for the, the, the big speech, and somehow some of the most rousing words like ever spoken <laughs> during World War II just felt clownish to me. Like the in Dunkirk, when I think it's like Harry Styles like reads this on the on the train or something, that same speech I think, um, it's like 800 times better. And <laughs> um, so yeah, I just didn't watch that movie again for this, and I feel like I never will watch it again. Don't love this win. I don't get it. I also fell asleep during this movie. Um, earlier when I mentioned that I went to a movie theater and saw four movies in a day, this was, I think, the second or third one. And 
in a packed movie theater and I fell asleep and I've never revisited this because I thought this was one of the most dull movies I've ever seen. The fact that it got a best picture nomination is baffling to me. Um, the fact that it won best actor is baffling to me. The fact that Gary Oldman or as Brandon calls him, Gary old man, um, is nominated and winning for this when he has done way better work in Harry Potter films or Sid and Nancy or, I mean, fuck, even The Unborn um, is baffling to me. And let's just be honest, this win is for makeup. The end. Yeah, so I pretty much agree with uh, everything that both of you said. Um, this is a pretty uninspired win, um, in my opinion. Uh, the makeup is ridiculous. Um, I never really buy it. And um, Gary is just, you know, walking around screaming and shaking chairs. And, you know, it's one of those uh, performances where every scene feels like it was written and performed to be the Oscar clip. And it just doesn't play very well. Um, this is a, you know, you know, both people who actually win here in real life uh, are um, they're pretty much character actors and had been for a few decades. Uh, Gary has a pretty eclectic resume um, that had been that goes back very far. And, uh, you know, maybe people felt like, you know, this was his time. Like he finally has, you know, basically the quintessential Oscar bait performance. And he had been around for so long, worked with pretty much everybody in terms of actors and directors. Uh, you know, maybe they just threw him a bone, um, which is too bad considering a few of the other people we have nominated here. And um, yeah, it's it's not for me. The movie kind of sucks. Um, I think it's abysmal that it was nominated for Best Picture because I don't think it represents anything best about the year. Um, it's a no across the board for me. I'm glad we're in agreement so far <laughs> with this one. Absolutely. Does anyone have any follow-ups? I do no. not. Oh, um, we do have a question from that, actually. Um, from Irkes1, he is back. I know Oldman had the overdue narrative, but don't you think it was a lazy win, a la Street for the Iron Lady or Daniel Day-Lewis for Lincoln? I think this is the laziest of the three. I don't yeah. know if I would put it in the same category as those two. Um but if I had to pick my least favorite of the three, this one is a very, very solid number three. I think what's surprising to me with this nomination is like sometimes you can kind of tell when people are nominated and, you know, when people are interviewing them, they kind of give them a little lip service like, oh, you are great. And you can kind of tell that maybe they haven't even seen the movie or, you know, they know they're not going to win. So there's not going to compliment them that much. But everybody, I remember being like, who, what movie are these people watching? Because everyone was like, you disappeared. I, I didn't even know that was Gary Oldman. And I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I don't know. I feel like some people just genuinely love this performance in a way that I apparently will never understand. It's funny you mentioned that, too, because remember, this won two Oscars. It won it for Gary and it won for Best Makeup. And it's also interesting that you said that and Irkes one had mentioned Street for the Iron Lady because I brought this up in that episode. I remember 
reading an interview with Sally Kirkland, and she had said when she saw the Iron Lady, and that first scene in that movie is when Meryl is buying milk, and she had no idea that was Meryl Streep, and asked the person next to her, "Who is that?" And when she said, when they, when she said, when she was told it was Meryl, she was so shocked. And I have to literally echo that same statement that you just did, Izzy. What? <laughs> like, it just. I, that also one actress and then makeup and this one actor in makeup. So there seems to be a theme here with these British political figure movies right now. And no me gusta. <laughs> yeah. Don't so, love it. Yep. Not a fan. <laughs> That's well, all. We let's got. just move on then. Okay. <laughs> uh, next we have Timothy Chalamet nominated for call me by your name. So far, this is his only Oscar nomination. Going into this, he wins the Spirit Award, and he also wins with the Los Angeles and New York film critics. Uh, he also wins a couple of noteworthy breakout performances, uh, one with National Board Review and one with Gotham. And he's uh, recognized with the Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, and National Society of Film Critics. In Call Me By Your Name, Timothy Chalamet plays Elio, a 17-year-old who falls for his father's research assistant in 1980s Italy. And uh, before you hear our opinions, we have a clip from one of our listeners, one of our Twitter contest winners. That is Rafael from the Philippines. And here is his take. I'm not sure how Timothy Chalamet, a 20-year-old cis straight man, accomplished what he did in Call Me By Your Name. He had big shoes to fill. The shoes of so many gay men whose stories mimic that depicted in Call Me By Your Name. Yes, there is an element of ephebophilia, the distasteful sexual interest in mid to late adolescence, and I don't want to glorify that. But to my knowledge, a formative relationship between a more experienced older man and a younger, greener, oftentimes underage boy is very common among the gay community. This indeed is my own story. So how did little Timmy Chalamet take on the historied complex weight of the story of so many gay men? And how did he do it so well? If you've seen Timothy in one of his first films, Miss Stevens, you'll hopefully remember him reciting a monologue from Death of a Salesman, a role he would have been much too young for at the time of filming. And yet you believe it instantly. Timothy has this knack, this talent for disinhibiting himself and inhabiting fully totally and committedly the character he is called upon to do. The freedom of his dancing to the psychedelic first love my way, the final frame as we watch tears upon tears fall across his porcelain cheeks, even the way he grabs Army Hammer's prodigious bulge. The entire film shows a fearless actor. Perhaps it's the LaGuardia High School training, perhaps it's experience in theater, or perhaps he's just one of the greatest young actors around today, today's Marlon Brando or James Dean. While he didn't win the award, he certainly won the adoration of the world and me. And it's not so much a question of if he'll win, but when he'll win. All right, so Joey, how do you feel about Timothy Chalamet and Call Me By Your Name? I would like to start off with kudos to Raphael or, uh, because the way he just spoke, it is like, an audible audiobook. It is so well done, and there's such like an ASMR quality to it. So kudos to you. Um, I would also like to see Luca Guadagnino in court because I feel like my story was used. Um, 
And I really resonate with this film in many ways. Um, it is, I, I remember, I, I mean, even now I cry every time I watch this movie. Um, I saw this in theaters eight times. I was so enamored with this movie. Um, and it, a lot of it did come from the story itself. And again, I resonated with it because I've gone through this essentially. And a lot of it came from this unknown actor named timothy chalamet which by the way did you know his correct pronunciation is timothy uh, yes yes just in case you Uh did not i did not know that yeah the french yes um so but i will refer to him as timmy or timmy here (laughs) Um, i look at this performance and i look at this lineup and i think wow we have some vets we have three vets and we've got essentially two newbies and what a year when the newbies are outshining the vets. Um, Timmy is in that category, obviously of outshining. He is gut wrenching. He is heartbreaking. He is exciting. He is an icon. He is the moment. Um, he was fantastic here. I, what stands out to me and to a lot of people is that final scene of him crying to Sufjan Stevens, um, which I guess he actually had an earpiece in his ear to the actual song from what I understand. So amazing work. Um, There's just something so naturalistic and so beautiful and watching him perform to me is like the opera almost. It's so emotional and I just can't stop raving about it. And I think I feel like I'm going in circles. So I'm going to pass this off to Izzy, but fucking kudos. Yeah. I mean, I would pretty much, Oh, a echo your comments about the um, ASMR like quality of that audio. What? So true. Um, but yeah, I would pretty much echo what Raphael said. I mean, I think that he is one of the most, if not, the most promising actor, young actor that we have right now. I've been a fan of his since Homeland. I remember when he was like a little little baby on Homeland. Um, back. <laughs> way back. Uh, so I'm, I was like kind of excited when I kind of realized that he was going to become a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think this performance is really stunning. And I think that could be said of pretty much most of his performances he has a really raw quality that I don't think is very common for actors his age and I'm really really excited to see where he goes with it what kind of scripts he takes on um after this yeah I am too uh he feels so comfortable on this set like he is just living this character it almost feels like we're watching a documentary at times. Like there's just this 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 real teenage kid just living in Italy with his academic father and uh, falling in love uh, with this statuesque uh, research assistant. And um, it's so believable and he's so tender in a lot of these moments. Um, he's given a lot to work with here, but for the most part, it's all pretty subtle. He kind of has an entire range of emotions that he goes through here, but it's not always, you know, in your face with it. Um, 
the the fireplace acting in the end is a great punctuation mark on this movie. Um, I feel like that moment really seals the deal for him as a performer. Um, it really solidifies everything that he has done up until that moment. Um, but he also does some really great peach acting and some really great shorts acting, uh, book acting. He is doing all the different prop actings in this movie. Um, it's great. Uh, you know, if he were, if he had a teacup in this movie, he and Leslie Manville would be battling for best teacup acting of the year. Uh, I think he's quite good here. And I'm also really excited to see what he does moving forward. I really like to see him in a really like showy performance just to see what that looks like, like a darkest hour type of thing. I don't want him to be in a movie that bad, but I just kind of want to see what he does in that realm. I'm very curious, but, um, yeah, I think he shows a lot of promise in this movie, and he does it in uh, the most believable, subtle, relatable way possible. And of course, the internet gained a new boyfriend with this, um, which I think is hilarious that he is like this cult status, especially in Twitter. But do you know what was hilarious? Do you remember when the following year that Amazon tried to push him in supporting for Beautiful Boy? <laughs> yeah. I- I do recall that. I did not watch that movie, but I recall that uh, that fiasco. He's great in it, but goddamn if he's not a lead. He's like in mostly every scene. That's what I hear. I'll probably never watch that movie for personal reasons, but I hear he's quite good in it. Yeah. I think something that's also really underrated with him is that he makes his uh, scene partners even better. Like, I think there are a lot of really good actors that hog the attention and, like, don't know how to sit back and listen. Um, but he is not really one of those actors. I mean, when I think about Saoirse Ronan at her best, I think about her with him. Um, and, like, uh, even Army Hammer, like, he is elevated by T- Timothy. Um, and, yeah, I think that's a really good underrated skill to have how do we think the sequels are going to play because i know that they definitely announced the second one with a possible third i'm honestly not sure i'm curious to see what they look like i know the author of the novel i believe is involved um so i have a little bit more faith in you know the evolution of these characters uh than you know andre asimon or however you pronounce it uh were not involved but I'm at least curious. Same. Yeah. Next, we have Daniel Day-Lewis nominated for Phantom Thread. This is his sixth of six nominations following three wins uh, previously. Going into this, he does not really win anything major, but he is recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, Critics' Choice, National Society of Film Critics, and with the AARP Movies for Grownups Awards. In Phantom Thread, Daniel Day-Lewis plays Reynolds Woodcock, a dress designer in 1950s London whose life and career are thrown a little bit off course when he discovers a young woman who becomes his muse. So, Izzy, how do you feel about Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread? Um, I'm obsessed with Daniel Day-Lewis in Phantom Thread. I think this is just one of the most interesting movies I've seen in a really long time. The premise is so odd. The way their develop, the way their relationship develops 
is equally odd. Um, and it's amazing. It's incredible. I love what he does with Reynolds um, because I obviously Daniel Day-Lewis is like known for being a very detailed actor, but it's interesting watching a very detailed actor play a very detailed person because every single thing he does is so deliberate. I mean, he's obviously deliberate with his craft when he's sewing and all that kind of stuff. But like when he's just sitting, you know, talking to Leslie Manville while they're eating dinner or something, he rests his hand on his chin or crosses his legs in a very specific, uh, uh, purposeful way that I find so captivating and it's just incredible to watch this like entirely new person that Daniel Day-Lewis invented um, live in this very strange space that is Phantom Thread um, and yeah I just love it it's great I don't mean to be the heartbreaker here especially <laughs> Izzy's love of this. Um, so I'll be I'll be gentle with this one, I promise. I mentioned when we talked about um, Phantom Thread with the ladies, I don't love this movie. Um, Leslie Manville was really the only thing I liked about this movie. I just find that we've seen better from Day-Lewis. And, like, I get, like, the career that he's had. And, you know, he's won the Oscars and everything. And he's done he's done really good work. Maybe when you do such range of amazingness, you want to go out either with a bang or with a subtle bang. And I think he went for the subtle bang, which disappoints me with what could have been a big old bang. And I don't know, maybe it's just my disappointment with how he decided to leave after this. Because I maybe, I don't know. No, it is. I do know. I just, I wish he would have done something big. And over the top, because I just feel like the subtlety is just not really for him. Um, so I'll just leave it with that. I, I like Day Lewis, but this is not one I'm just like screaming from the mountaintops about. So I'm pretty fond of this uh, performance in this film. Uh, I went into this movie knowing about it. All I really knew that Daniel Day played a clothing designer um, and that it was you know a period piece and as the story develops and his relationship with Alma uh, gets deeper and weirder I became infatuated with what I was watching on screen uh, this movie takes such a strange turn in the best of ways and I really like it um, I also think Daniel Day-Lewis is quite good in this movie I love watching a performance where you can tell that no gesture, no verbal enunciation was um, unthought of. Like this is a performance that uh, everything is done specifically and with motivation and purpose behind it. Uh, because, you know, that's Daniel Day-Lewis's um, jam. And it also absolutely works here, kind of like what Izzy was saying, because Reynolds Woodcock is a perfectionist, because he thinks out every little tiny detail and has these little secrets. Like when he mentions uh, putting a lock of his uh, deceased mother's hair in the lining of a jacket, uh, something that only he knows uh, that no one else does. I have a feeling Daniel Day-Lewis is doing all sorts of things like that with this role that 
a lot of us would never really see or know to see uh, things that Paul Thomas Anderson probably doesn't even know. Um, I think there's a lot going on with this performance um, that uh, I find really cool. And I like unpacking uh, new little things every time and peeling back new uh, layers. I also don't think Day Lewis is gone forever. I don't buy that he's never returning to acting. Um, we'll see, but I have a feeling someday someone is going to pull him out and he'll be back. I agree. Well, going off of that, from a question from Jackson to Stefano, Brandon, since you brought it up, you start with this. What's a role that you'd like to see Daniel Day Lewis play if he weren't in retirement or if he comes back? Um, you know, I'm honestly not sure. Uh, you know, when I think about him coming out of retirement, it seems inevitable that it would be a big director who does so. Like Martin Scorsese uh, brings him back or Steven Spielberg brings him back, some big name that he's worked with. But honestly, I would love if someone like Chloe Zhao or Lulu Wang was able him to play a part, uh, something unlike anything he's done, uh, and really blow everyone away. So I don't know about what type of part that would be, but that's the kind of movie that I would like to see him in. Um, yeah, I pretty much agree with that. I mean, I think to me, I mean, I don't know that much about him, but it seems like he's attracted to things that require a lot of like mental effort to get into. Um, so I don't think, you know, he would come back for another like biopic or something like that. I think it would have to be something similar to his work with Paul Thomas Anderson, where he is sort of inventing something or chewing on some new material that he's part of crafting in some way, um, that he could maybe tailor to however he's feeling at the, at the time. Um, but I definitely see him like getting bored maybe uh and just feeling like his creative energy needed to be uh exercised somehow i don't know about you guys but i remember when he won his oscar um he had mentioned that for for lincoln that he had mentioned that him and meryl switched roles so i still want to see his uh version of the iron lady i think that'd be fantastic him as margaret thatcher would be amazing um with that said, totally joking, side note, um, if you look at his resume, the man has never done a goddamn comedy. Daniel Day-Lewis, make me laugh! Because <laughs> his resume is some heavy-ass shit. So come back for a comedy, DDL. Please and thank you. Um, we have a quick comment from L Z Burchuk. Oh, Should Michael Stuhlbarg and DDL have swept this year? I'll answer it for you. This is from him. Yes, yes, and yes. So just want to throw that in there. Just give him a shout out. I agree. <laughs> uh, next, we have Daniel Kaluuya nominated for Get Out. This is so far his first and only nomination. Going into this, he gets wins with the Image Awards and with the National Society of Film Critics. And he's also recognized with the Golden Globes, BAFTA, SAG, Critics' Choice, Gotham, and the Spirit Awards. And as a note, uh, his Golden Globe nomination is in the comedy musical category. I'm sure we'll get into that. In Get Out, Daniel Kaluuya plays Chris Washington, a young 
black man visiting his white girlfriend's family for the first time and soon realizes that their over-enthusiastic behavior uh, at meeting him has uh, some nefarious ulterior motives underneath. So before we get to our opinions, we have another Twitter contest winner. We have Christoph from Bavaria, Germany. Here is his take. Hi, Brandon. Hi, Joey. Thank you so much for giving me an opportunity to talk a bit about Daniel Kaluuya and Get Out. This is my favorite Best Actor nomination, not just of the year 2017, but of the entire decade. The film works so well as a horror movie with some darkly comedic moments, and the main reason why it's so effective is Kaluuya's performance. From the first moments, we empathize with him. We want nothing bad ever happened to him because he's such a sympathetic and strong and positive character. And this strong identification with him makes everything that actually does happen to him, especially in the climax, so much more terrifying. Kaluuya gives off a very nuanced performance as Chris. And we always have the sense that he is carefully deliberating what he is saying in any situation. And there's always a lot more going on in his mind, whether it's in an early scene with a police officer when he's appeasing his girlfriend more than he's appeasing the cop because he knows he's been in the situation before and he knows how to literally survive this situation. And also he doesn't know the real agenda his girlfriend is having and why she doesn't want any record of him being with her. But also when he's dealing with her parents who are so uber-friendly, it's cringy, and he obviously finds them ridiculous, but he doesn't let on because he doesn't want to offend them and he doesn't want to offend his girlfriend. Also when he's talking to Georgina and Walter and he's confused by their behavior and possibly a bit scared, we always see on his face that there's so much more going on than he is actually saying. And Kaluuya is really terrific at bringing this across. There are only really two situations when Chris is letting his guard down and really saying what is on his mind. It's one time when he's being hypnotized by the Catherine Keener character just before he's getting to the sunken place, and we see how terrified and how scared Chris is when he realizes that he's losing control and that he's no longer having these inhibitions. And the other scene, or the other scenes, is when he's talking to his friend Rod because he's comfortable with him, because he's his friend. And also, it has to be said, the fact that Rod and Chris don't actually share scenes together until the very end, but only phone calls. And still, the relationship between those, those two is the best and most positive relationship of the entire film. It's a testament to both of their performances. I really like how Get Out elevated Daniel Kaluuya's career to another level. He is my favorite actor currently working, and he has been since I first watched Psycho Will, which is a dark comedy mystery series from the UK from 2009, in which he played a young delinquent sentenced to community service in the form of assisting a blind millionaire collecting toy animals. It's very bizarre and very dark and very funny show, and Kaluuya plays the most normal character, almost an audience identification identification character and he is absolutely terrific in it and he played a small role in a Doctor Who episode and he had the Black Mirror episode but it's this film which really gave him a big breakthrough and made him famous and also the performance he had since he was in Widows where his performance was so different than anything ever did before and so different than this and he deserved an Oscar nomination as much as Elizabeth Debitsky deserved one and he did Queen and Slim and he was terrific in this and 
Daniel Kaluuya is an actor who's making me excited whenever I see him, because even if I don't know what he's going to do, I know it's going to be good. And Daniel Kaluuya is one of the actors. When he's in a film, I'm going to watch it because I know it's great. All right. So, Izzy, how do you feel about Daniel Kaluuya in Get Out? Uh, I really liked him in this movie. I think one of the things that I uh, loved most about his performance was how good he is at side-eye, which (laughs) maybe is a weird thing to point out about this movie, but um, sort of the knowing looks that he gives to other characters where he's just trying to, like, find that moment of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's It's like a knowing kind of thing or he's trying to relate to somebody without any um, verbal cues. He's so compelling when he does that. He's just, he just has like the best kind of relatable vibe to him, like naturally. Um, And then kind of putting him in this absurdist, surreal situation, um, just really kind of cinches the horror of it because you, can feel so invested in him as a person, as an actor. Um, So when this is happening to him, it becomes all the more frightening. So yeah, uh, I really liked his performance in this movie. So I'm not going to lie. I'm not a fan of Get Out. Um, I don't... Let me note, I get the message it's saying. I'm not ignorant to that. Um, 100%. I just don't understand why this is beloved like it is in the realm of, like, greatest movie ever type thing, which a lot of people do put that on. Um, I think the movie's fine, but just like Jordan Peele's other film, Us, I just don't think the movie itself is great. Um, and when it comes to, uh, Daniel here... I also think he's fine. I think it shows us what else he can do in the future. I mean, he had followed this up with Black Panther, Widows, and even Queen and Slim. Like, those three performances are far superior than what he's doing here. Um, And I think this was a great introduction to what he can do. But this isn't really what I would consider Oscar-worthy work. Um, nothing about Get Out is Oscar-worthy work, in my opinion, but that doesn't mean that I'm, that I don't understand why it was so successful. Um, I don't know, I, this isn't one where I can't, like, put it to words in the fact of, you know, like, Sam Rockwell, where I was just like, I don't know what to say about it in that sense of manner. I think there's just, like, I just think I, can't fathom why this was it. it. It just, yeah, he's done so much better work. So it's fine, but it's not like award-worthy work in my opinion. This is a performance that gets better for me every time I watch it. I was a pretty big fan of it the first time um, as well. It just keeps improving upon that. I'm a fan of Get Out as a film, um, kind of like uh, Phantom Thread and Daniel Day-Lewis's performance. There are so many little tiny things that you don't pick up on the first time, uh, or at least I didn't. And um, knowing the movie, knowing the characters, uh, upon rewatch, you see little details in the set decoration 
or in a line, in the wording of a line, or the way the line is delivered, the way the story unfolds. And um, Daniel Kaluuya is an example of that here. Uh, there, there's a very serious threat in this movie. And uh, Jordan Peele, you know, he horrifies it in a very clever way. Uh, but this movie, you know, has a lot to say about, you know, race and all that. And I'm not, you know, going to lecture on that because that's not my place. But uh, Kaluuya, I think, really sells a lot of what this movie is getting at. Um, he, you know, he delivers um, on the themes. And uh, I, I guess I'm having a little difficulty uh, just uh, talking about it as well, but in a completely different way because I love it. Um, it's it's a very subtle, nuanced performance that um, it becomes even more polished for me upon every rewatch. Uh, this is one of those movies that every time I watch it, I find something new. I know I've said that like five times, but it's true. Uh, do you want to have any follow-ups to Kaluuya? Uh, let's talk about the Golden Globes placement here. Why in the fuck? I mean, the Globes are going to globe. I mean, remember what they did with The Martian. I just can't fathom why, as, like, society, we there wasn't, like, an uproar over them putting this in comedy, because that makes no sense to me whatsoever. Well, as I recall, there was a bit of an uproar. Uh, there was, you know, quite a bit of talk online about why someone would put a story like this in comedy. It seems as though there was a, some misinterpretation, and uh, I think an, a reason for that uh, was that some people interpreted this as like a satire that we were meant to laugh at. Um, I guess there is a, a place on the satire spectrum where I'm sure this movie could exist and there could be an argument made for that, but it's not exactly, you know, the kind of satire that you're, you're laughing your ass off. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, uh, the globes were really globing with this one. I, truly feel like they probably just saw like Jordan Peele's name on it and they were like he's funny right <laughs> mm. that would not surprise me yeah yeah that's possible as well um um oh we do have a question that we can get to now from Ronaldo Sosa if Gary Oldman wasn't here without your personal winners who would have won DDL for record tying fourth or Chalamet or Kaluuya breaking the record for the youngest winner. Notice I've kept off Denzel. That's intentional. Huh. I have a feeling Chalamet seemed to have more momentum behind Oldman. Um, I feel like he was the one people were talking about the most. Uh, so on paper, it seems like Chalamet would be the one. Is yeah, it? I... I honestly have no idea because I mean how did the how did the rest of these films do outside of this category? I don't actually remember. because uh, I don't feel like a lot of these films had very much momentum, like for the most part. Maybe I guess just call me by your name, right? Because that one screenplay. Yes, but remember Get Out did as well. Right. So mm. Yeah, I would also say probably Chalamet. Uh, to uh, rope in uh, Christoph's clip here, uh, I, I will echo one sentiment, uh, one specific thing he said. 
Um, I could also share the enthusiasm just for this nomination existing. I mean, like I said with Richard Jenkins, um, I'm always a fan of the Academy meeting uh, a genre film. And, you know, this one is uh, specifically horror film. And uh, that's always pretty thrilling to me. And considering this is a horror film with something very serious to say that really captured the moment in 2017. I mean, this is one of those movies that, you know, was constantly talked about throughout. Like, I think this movie came out almost an entire year before that Oscar ceremony and people were still talking about it. So um, I think this Kaluuya nomination uh, really sets, uh, not really sets the tone, but uh, a bit of a time capsule, I guess you could say, for the year. And uh, I'm pretty, uh, I'd say it's one of my favorite nominations uh, of the decade, like Kristoff said. I would agree with that, just, you know, on paper, considering what this movie is. I, I know I will say, and I, this is not meant to be shady. It does make me a little sad, though, that the Academy went for this and then didn't go for something like Lupita, Lupita Nyong'o with us, especially mm-hmm. with the type of um, the type of because uh, I feel like Lupita had more of the backing from like the fans more it, with like the excitement over Kaluuya. Um, so it really just goes to show you that the Academy is never a science that you can really track down to a T and yeah. yeah, it makes me sad. Yeah. I wish they would have nominated both. Uh, I guess with Lupita, it's a bit different because she was a past winner and she was a recognizable name. Not many people in the state knew who Kaluuya was. Like, he was big in Britain and had done, like, TV and theater in Britain. But as far as, like, Academy Hollywood people go, he didn't exactly have the, the name recognition. So that's another reason why it's just kind of cool that he was able to pull off this nomination. But um, I wish both had been nominated. I would also echo the audio um, just to say that his performance in Widows was really great to me. I think he you know, has already shown that he could play a villain as well as um, this incredibly sympathetic hero. Mm -hmm. So that's amazing. It's really exciting to see where he's going to go, too. Our final leading actor nominee is Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel-esque. This is his eighth of eight nominations, and uh, this is following two previous wins. Going into this, he doesn't really have much momentum at all. He doesn't get any wins, and he gets a couple uh, nominations with Golden Globe, SAG, and AARP Movies for Grown Ups Awards. Uh, Denzel here plays Roman J. Israel, a uh, Los Angeles defense attorney uh, working at a small firm. Uh, he's a brilliant attorney, but he's a bit anxiety-ridden and awkward. And he thinks he has a way to beat the justice system's use of plea bargaining to put people behind bars. So, Joey, how do you feel about Denzel Washington and Roman J. Israel-esque? I fucking hate you. (laughs) Uh, I love when you do the Brandonisms. Um, Where did this come from? Um, I... Okay, I didn't hear about this movie until the Globes, and I don't even think at the Globes I really heard about this movie. I'm pretty sure I didn't hear about this movie until Denzel was actually nominated. Um, movie's not great. 
not great, but I think this is one of the prime examples of don't hate the or what what is it like don't hate the player, hate the game. Um, because while the movie's not great, Denzel isn't bad here. Um, he is quite good, actually. Um, you know, there's a fine line that he is riding with this character to where, like, is the character on the spectrum? Is he just dealing with, like, really bad anxiety? Is he just awkward? Like, what's going on? So, I mean, he keeps you intrigued there. Um, and I, you know, I have to give him the props because... He isn't working with a great script, and yet Denzel is able to do some real magical work with himself here. So is it my favorite Washington performance? Hell no. Is it bad? Hell no. Um, But I think that this is a super interesting nomination, considering this is kind of what feels like to be the quote-unquote filler nom. And I hate using that term. I've said that before, but... I think this is the most filler nom of the filler noms that I've ever really seen. Um, I don't even think Denzel's mother thought he would win this. So yeah, it's interesting. Izzy, what about you? Um, Well, I'll tell you how filler nom it is, which is um, I don't think I saw it when it, when it came out and I still have not seen it. And so I have literally no opinions about this movie and I apologize to both of you and to anyone who's listening. Um, but yeah, I mean, generally I very much, I like Denzel's performances, so I can imagine that he did a great job, but I just literally didn't even think to go see this. And that's kind of embarrassing for me, but I think it also says a lot about, you know, where this film was in relation to the other films that were in this category and more generally at the Oscars that year. So um yeah don't have too much to say on that unfortunately yeah it's a pretty forgettable movie and um Denzel's performance doesn't save it or even make it noteworthy uh the movie feels like they're working with a script that's in its second draft like it's not fully formed yet and uh, Denzel's just trying to create a fully fleshed character um this is one that I'm going to be honest, I didn't, I chose to not rewatch it. Uh, it's not one that I felt like I really needed to, to be honest. I don't know. I just got this uh, impression that it wouldn't really make much of a difference with my opinion, uh, considering how I felt about it and just how forgettable it is. Um, you know, glad that Denzel was able to get yet another nomination. Uh, love that for him. But um I don't know. I'm sure in his resume of performances that were not nominated, uh, this one could have been switched out for another one somewhere along the way. Well, it's funny that you mentioned that too, Mr. Brandon, um, because Renato Sosa asks, do you think that James Franco missed his nomination for the disaster artist because of the allegations against him or would he have missed regardless thus taking the Denzel Washington spot. I think the allegations coming out were important, and I still am interested. I don't know if they ever got settled. I didn't look into that. But I don't think they hurt his chances at all, because we have to remember when they came out. Um, the, The first allegation that hit the news cycle came out two days before Oscar voting closed. Um, And I find it very hard to believe that 90% 
of the Oscar voters get, uh, gave their ballots in on the final two days. So I really don't think he ever was actually getting in. I'm, I'm not really a fan of James Franco and the disaster artist. Uh, I know he was getting quite a bit of critical praise and the people on the internet were raving about him. But um, ultimately when I saw the movie, I didn't think he was that good. And I also wasn't really that big a fan of the movie. So I guess he had a certain level of momentum leading into it. And I'm sure the allegations did not help. I can't imagine how you know they would help in any way. But um, considering the timing, maybe it didn't hurt as much as it might seem uh, looking back. But um, I don't know. I feel like if, if Franco would have gotten in for this, it, uh, I don't think it would have aged well, for one thing. I don't think people would be fond of it uh, in hindsight. And um, I think he would have just gotten in as a squeaker. I, I'm curious what you guys think about his popularity in Hollywood in general. Because part of me feels like, um, you know, obviously he's well-liked. He keeps making a lot of work that makes a lot of news. But I also kind of get the sense that he's not respected very much. And I don't know if that's just, like, my personal um, take on it, like, what I'm seeing. Um, or if that's a sense that other people get. I get a similar vibe. Um, I'm sure he's respected as an actor in certain circles, but I have a feeling he's probably seen as super pretentious, uh, not just as an actor, but just in life. I think Franco kind of became his own parody. And yeah, I don't know if anyone can take him serious. I mean, remember when he did Spring Breakers, his FYC campaign was consider this shit. That's literally what his campaign was, his slogan. I remember getting the screener for Spring Breakers, and I was like, consider this shit. I was like, what? Um, so, you know, it's interesting. And I just, I think, I, the dude made a 44-minute 40, gay porn on cruising, like, and sold it at Sundance. Like, I just don't know who else could do that. And, you know what I mean? Like, it, Again, I don't know the allegations if they were ever settled or whatnot or, like, the full details of it, but it just – with the Me Too era and everything happening, the fact that he just kind of disappeared and no one seems to know from or where he's at, it's just very odd to me. The, the whole Franco planet is just very weird to me. Yeah, I think you're kind of picking up on something that um, I'm not – I wasn't really sure how to verbalize, but I think it's, like – that he more so than other actors in this category is associated with a lot of like stunts and weird things like that whole time where he was at Columbia and was like falling asleep in class all the time, you know, just these like weird celebrity things that, you know, happen to a lot of celebrities, but not, not like the other men who are in this group. Well, to continue your Columbia thought, I remember like when he was doing 127 hours, the whole narrative of he did that movie on the weekends when he wasn't in school. That was like a thing that kept popping up. Like he was just some high school kid just making a movie on the weekends with Danny mm. Boyle. And it got kind of annoying after a while. I think he had the same narrative with the hosting the Oscars. Like, oh, God. like oh just, yeah, that. Because that was the same year, I think, that he was nominated for 127 hours. And so it was like, oh, he 
Friday he left class and flew to L.A. and hosted the Oscars, and tomorrow he's going to be back in the lecture hall. And it was this whole stupid joke that just went on for way too long. But then that was just a totally bizarre experience, too, (laughs) when he hosted. (laughs) Awful. Um, Yeah, interesting. I I will say I would have nominated him for The Disaster Artist, though. That's just me. I thought it was Oscar-worthy work um, because, again, I just think that he becomes his own parody, so it's just kind of like it worked. But, yeah. Um, I, when it comes to the question specifically, like I said, I don't think it hurt him considering that voting closed in two days after the story hit. So I just don't ever think he was actually getting in. And Queens, before we get to the rankings, a word from, well, me and our sponsor. Have you ever wanted to share a bit of the spotlight with, I don't know, Meryl Streep, Jessica Lange, Angela Bassett, and maybe hopefully one day someone like Aquafina, or play a game where Daniel Kaluuya is on a team? Well, this year, Queens, you can, thanks to today's sponsor, The Star Draft. As the listeners already know, Hollywood Awards season is finally almost, almost here, and God knows it's a long one this year, and The Star Draft lets you be a part of it like never before. What is it, though? Well, I'll tell you. It's a little like fantasy football. I don't know what that is, but I do know that it meets the Golden Globes, and I definitely know what that is, and here's how it works. Head to thestardraft.com to create a league to invite friends or join a public league to make new ones. Draft a team of 10 actors and musicians, musicians who are actors or actors who happen to sing. I don't care how you do it. Just do it. Do you think Olivia Coleman is going to sweep every awards show this winter? Draft her. I know she did the last time. She did really, really good. Hashtag the favorite. Before every nomination and award show, set a lineup. Every time your actor or musician earns an accolade, they earn your team points. Then sit back, relax, watch the awards ceremonies as you, I don't know, drink a beer, eat some nachos, fight with your grandma. I don't care but rehearse your acceptance speech. The site's top scoring team at the end of Oscar night earns a cash prize. Hey, you may not walk away with an Oscar, but you will walk away with cash in your pocket. It's 100% free. And because we love the Star Draft and you all so much, well, most of you, we've created a public league that you can join right now. Seriously, join us. All you have to do is sign up and join our Academy Queens League at thestardraft.com. That's www.thestardraft.com. We look forward to beating you all award season long and probably beating you more than others. Love you guys. All right. As a recap, your nominees were Richard Jenkins, Willem Dafoe, Woody Harrelson, Sam Rockwell, and Christopher Plummer. My number five is going to Willem Dafoe um, for The Florida Project. This is just not Oscar-worthy work, and I don't see why people go insane for this one. So I got to put him at five. Izzy, who is your number five? All right. Um, number five, I am going to put Woody Harrelson, which I feel bad saying because I really like Woody Harrelson. But um, just for me, this performance didn't hit me quite as hard as other ones in this category. Woody Harrelson is also my number five. Um, I'm a fan of Woody Harrelson. Uh, I love a lot of his work. This one just doesn't quite do it for me. Uh, factored in with a movie, just not really working for me. Um, just not not my cup of tea. So Woody Harrelson's my number five for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Woody Harrelson is my number four. Um, I, I think he's more memorable than Willem Dafoe, but he's not... 
Like Defoe, he's just not really doing anything here that would result in an Oscar nomination for me, but at least I remember him in the film. So he's ahead, but not by much. Uh, Izzy, your number four? Uh, number four, I'm going to put Richard Jenkins in The Shape of Water. Again, really enjoyed this performance, but didn't quite stick with me after I left the theater. Um, and I think other members in the category had um, a little more to do, perhaps. I've been going back and forth on my three and four, uh, but I think right now I'm also going to put Richard Jenkins at number four for The Shape of Water. Um, I think he's perfectly good here. Uh, it just doesn't really stand out to me um, in the film. There's other elements to the film that stand out more than his performance, so it's hard for me to rank him a little bit higher uh, than the others. So um, Richard Jenkins is number four for The Shape of Water. My middle of the road, number three, is going to be Sam Rockwell, this year's winner. Um, I think he's doing he's, – he's more memorable when it comes to the two billboard men. But um, this was never a performance, even for my first time seeing it up until revisiting this, that I ever was like, oh, my God, here's a Oscar-winning performance. Um, I still, like I said, think it's funny that I was like, he's never going to win anything, he'll be nominated, and then he just swept everything. So good for Sam Rockwell. But, um, I, you know, number three. Not a bad spot to be still. Is he? Um, I'm also going to put Sam Rockwell at number three um, for pretty much the same reasons. Um, I think he had a lot more to do. Um, and just in general, I like, you know, that he has had a long career of pretty good roles. So, yeah, that's all I really have to say about him. Well, Sam Rockwell is also my number three. Uh, he stands out more to me than Harrelson does in this film, and he leaves a bit more of an impression on me than Jenkins does in his film. Um, Rockwell does pretty well with what he has to work with. Um, I think the movie has some flaws, and it could have been a better performance if the script had been more there for him. Uh, but uh, he can only be my number three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Well, my runner-up this year is going to be Richard Jenkins, which means I am giving Christopher Plummer the win. Um, starting with Jenkins, I think this is great. I love that he came back. Um, like I said, I connected with this character. And I think, all in all, he does pretty solid work. But Plummer, fantastic. Um, he was my winner from the moment that I saw this film. He was my winner on Oscar night. He's my winner now. Um, he's chaotically evil. It's delicious. It's everything I want in someone who's just notoriously awful. And you know what? Kudos to Christopher Plummer because he pulled a, a possibly impossible job and um, deserved the credit, deserved this win, deserved this nomination. So go you. Um, Izzy, your number two and your number one. Uh, my number two was Christopher Plummer, pretty much for all the reasons you just listed. Um, I actually I love villain performances. Um, I just usually think they're so delicious. Um and he's this role is exactly the kind of person that I pretty much hate the most. So um, I don't know. There was just something fun about watching like the fictional version because I don't I can't stand watching the real ones. So to watch him kind of chew on that was fun. Um, and then I'm getting giving the top award to Willem Dafoe just for his very sensitive kind of babysitter role that I described earlier. 
My runner-up is Christopher Plummer for all the money in the world. Uh, he is so dastardly in this movie, and it's so fun to watch. Um, I don't know. It's just a great villain role. Uh, I think we put it uh, pretty well already. Uh, but Willem Dafoe in The Florida Project is so sincere in uh, this film. It's such a tricky performance that he uh, communicates so effectively and so well. And um, I just want more of it. So uh, Willem Dafoe is my winner for The Florida Project. Do we have the exact same list? Um. I think we did. I think yeah. you and I did, yeah. Synergy. <laughs> and I'm all alone. <laughs> Our leading men were Gary Oldman for Darkest Hour, uh, Timmy Chalamet for Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis for Phantom Thread, Daniel Kaluuya for Get Out, and Denzel Washington for Roman J. Israel-esque. And I'm giving Gary Oldman the last place spot for Darkest Hour. It's uh, it's just a big old no in all caps for me. So, Izzy, how, uh, who's your number five? You know, same here. I didn't even see Denzel's performance, but I'm just going to assume it was better <laughs> than what I saw in Darkest Hour. So uh, that'll be number five for me. Number five is Gary Oldman. Um, No. Go home, Gary. <laughs> um, my number four is Denzel Washington. Um, he's okay. Uh, he doesn't have a lot to work with here, and he's been better. Uh, the movie could be much better. It's uh, he, it, it, he doesn't need to be here. He could have been here for a number of other performances. So um, Denzel Washington's number four for Roman J. Israel-esque. Um, yeah, you know, uh, wow, what a performance. Uh, so many things that I could say um, about this, this performance. It was performed, it was on a screen, and um, he certainly was in the film. So I will say that he, uh, Denzel is my number four. Oh, wow. That was probably my favorite thing I've ever heard on the show. Um, my number four is going to go to Daniel Day-Lewis. Um, he is not really giving me what I need Daniel Day-Lewis to give me on his last performance. Um, it's no Leslie Manville, but it's here. So I will uh, not rank him last because of Gary, but he's not going higher than four for me. So I think my top three are pretty great, but I'm putting Daniel Day-Lewis at number three for Phantom Thread. It's a great performance to pick apart, find all the little pieces that put this outfit together. But um, the other two just do a little more for me. So Daniel Day-Lewis is number three for Phantom Thread. Um, all right. Uh, my number three is going to go to Daniel Kaluuya. Um, I really really liked this role I like all the top three as well um but I think maybe this is my genre bias I think the um that horror just doesn't hit me quite as hard um at least on like the what I was feeling with the other two which maybe is you know saying more about me being obsessed with phantom thread than anything else but um yeah so I'll put him at number three 
My number three is also going to be Daniel Kaluuya. Um, it's it's fine. It's very middle of the road, but it just for me, it's no Lupita Nyong'o and us when it comes to horror. And it's just it's a it's a fine performance. It's just not something that I would consider myself personally to see Oscar winning or nomination work. Um, I'm glad he's got it, and I'm glad that we get to see more of him, but it's very middle of the road for me. So, number three for Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel Kaluuya is my runner-up for Get Out. I love that this nomination happened, and like uh, Day-Lewis, it's a role that I can find new things every time I watch it. Um, He's given so much to do uh, with this material. But um, Timothy Chalamet is just... um, He's pretty much everything I look for in a performance. Uh, It's subtle and true in so many ways, and it's so raw and heartfelt in so many other ways. And um, I can't wait to see what he does uh, in the future. So Timothy Chalamet is my winner for Call Me By Your Name. Um, Yeah, so I put Timothy Chalamet in the runner-up position. Um, And, (laughs) I mean, I feel like I am being redundant at this point saying how much I love Daniel Day-Lewis and Phantom Thread. So I think that might be a little obvious. Um, but you know, if it was a goodbye award, that would be cool. Not that I'm convinced that that's his last movie. Um, but I definitely think, you know, Timothy is going to be in this conversation many, many times in the future. So, um, very excited to see what comes next for him. My runner-up is Denzel Washington. Like I said earlier, uh, don't hate the player, hate the game. Um, Despite all the issues with Roman J. Israel Esquire, there is not really a reason to hate this performance, in my opinion. Um, You know, Denzel is doing really, really well, and I think I agree with Brandon when he said it feels like a second draft of the script they're shooting with. So with that said, I have to put that into context as well on what he's giving us here. And it's not bad. Would I want to see this as a winner? No, but I would be okay with it. Hence why I'm putting it in my second spot. Um, But Timothy Chalamet is number one. He is, he was my winner the first time I saw Call Me By Your Name in theaters. He was my winner the second time I saw it. And my eighth time I voted for him at the Spirits. I was all about this here. I wanted this win for him so badly. And the fact that he won to a fat suit just pisses me the fuck off. Um, it's beautiful. So my winners as a recap are Timothy Chalamet and Christopher Plummer. And I have Timmy Chalamet and Willem Dafoe. And I had Willem Dafoe and Daniel D. Lewis. Anyone shocked by anyone's picks here? <laughs> no. not at all (laughs) no yeah not at all um all right izzy thank you so much for coming back uh remind the people where they can find you on the social media um i'm at bk rewind on twitter and bk underscore rewind on instagram perfect youtube page and youtube same thing um be kind rewind Yes, yes. Which kudos on, by the way, as of this recording, your most recent video, I believe, is the Audrey Hepburn video. Yes. Fantastic. So I really am looking forward to what you have. But the funny thing is, is that the last time you were on, we correctly guessed that it was the Whoopi Goldberg video. 
So I'm wondering, Brandon, do we maybe have an idea of what's coming next, Mark? Because we were right the last time. Well, if I recall, you were correct the last time. I'm pretty sure that was your guess. It was. You're the the psychic one here. (laughs) You're the Otome Brown of this. I'll be shocked if you guess. Okay. So So maybe that's a hint. (laughs) As of late, your videos have gone from specific Oscar races to social issues and um, specific actresses. So I'm going to go with that you are skipping over another race. And I would be I would be very happy to see an Ellen Burstyn video coming through. So I'm going to guess Ellen Burstyn. Silence tells me no. Okay. Well, well, I don't want to give I feel like if I react, then that's a hint. Yes. So I'm just my face is making expressions, but you can't see that but I am reacting. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, here's to hoping. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you again so much for coming on. We love having you on. And on the count of three, we're going to give a big old goodbye. Ready, everybody? One, two, three. Goodbye. Bye.